Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, let's look to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, it's a light to our souls, and we need that light so much. And so we pray, Father, that inasmuch as you who commanded the light to shine in the darkness, command the light to shine in us this morning, that we might see the Lord Jesus in the scriptures. In your name we pray, amen. Genesis 17, starting in verse 18. And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God had said unto him. And Abraham was 90 years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael, his son. And all the men of his house, born in the house, bought with the money of the stranger, were circumcised with him. Now, we've been studying here in chapter 17, and we've seen from this last verse, as we've seen in the end of chapter 16 until where Abraham was 86 years old to when God spoke to him in chapter 17, verse 1, Abraham was 99 years old, that that was a 13-year, as we've seen, period of silence in the life of Abraham. And then God's first words to when he breaks this silence in verse 1, I am God Almighty, he says, walk before me and be thou perfect. So 13 years has gone on since Abraham has heard God's voice And the first thing that Abraham hears after 13 years of silence is walk. And when after 13 years of silence, God says to Abraham, walk, and then Abraham teaches him, because Abraham is portrayed to us as a man of faith. That's how the Bible holds him up to us. But this was a certain kind of faith. This was a faith that was developed by God in Abraham, a particular kind of faith. And Abraham was eager to develop that kind of faith that God wanted. And so what we see here is this 13 years is a very long period of time. And he lived, Abraham lived through those 13 years. And Abraham was impressed how long that period of time was from when he heard God till he heard him next. And that waiting, that 13 years, spoke to Abraham because it taught Abraham to understand that that's the kind of faith that God wants to develop in a person, in Abraham. Abraham understood that God wanted to develop in Abraham the kind of faith that waits for long periods of time, as in 13 years. And so we learn here that God wants to develop that kind of faith in us, the kind of faith that waits on God for a long time. That's what Peter was talking about in 2 Peter 3, 
8 and 9, when he said, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering, he's patient toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So that emphasizes the patience of it all, the waiting patience of it all. And by the way, there's a very important word in that verse there. And when it says one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And that's a very important word as because the verse does not say the verse says one day is as a thousand years. But it doesn't say that one day is a thousand years with the Lord. And so that's very important because many Christians figure it wrong. And because when God says that he created the heavens and earth in six days, he didn't mean 6,000 days or 6,000 years. He meant six literal days. But those verses emphasize the patience of God and how God wants to build that patience in us. And so God told Abraham, walk before me and be thou perfect. And when Abraham hears those words before me, Abraham thought, he thinks to himself, I've got it. I understand what God is saying here. He's saying he wants me to live a life to where I see myself as always being watched by God. That's the emphasis of Psalm 139 in verses 1 through 12, where David is praying and he says, Oh Lord, you searched me, you've known me, you know us my down sittings and my uprising, you understandeth my thought afar off, you compassest my way, my lying down, art acquainted with all my ways. See, all these words, it's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it. These words like search, known, know, acquaintest, compassest, thou hast beset me all around me, beset me behind and before, laid thy hand upon me. And then David stops as almost like a refrain in all of this thought. He says, this is over the top. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I send up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. So he's emphasizing here that always in David's mind, he's living his life with the knowledge of the presence of God. And then he goes on at the end of that Psalm 139, and he speaks about how he wasn't hid from God when he was in the womb. And he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. He says, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance and so forth. So what these thoughts that David was talking about were so precious to him that was over the top for him, too wonderful for him, were the thoughts of how he was always walking before God. He was walking in the presence of God. God was seeing him. And then we saw how God gave Abraham a command. He says, walk before me. Then he says, be thou perfect. And that meant that Abraham was to examine his life, to look over his life and have one question. He was to look over all of his life. And the question is, is this area of my life and that area of my life, this area of my life, is this area totally yielded to God? Is this area totally yielded to God? How about this area? And when Abraham would find an area, then he would say, now I've got to work on this area to bring it under the total control of God. I've got to bring it to yield to God. And that's exactly what God was asking Abraham to do is exactly what he's asking us to do. Look over every area in our lives and ask the question, is this area totally yielded 
to the Lord Jesus Christ? Does he have complete control over this area of my life? So he says, be thou perfect. Mean, in other words, work on those areas to bring them into complete control. Now, that was a tall order for Abraham. And the question is, in Abraham's mind, just exactly how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to walk before God and be perfect? And the answer was so interesting because it wasn't found in Abraham. You know, God didn't say to Abraham, Abraham, I just saw the sign I was driving here, we can, you know, (laughs) Abraham, (laughs) you can do it, Abraham. I have complete confidence in you, Abraham. You have what it takes, Abraham. You don't have a high enough estimation of yourself, Abraham. (laughs) That's not at all what God said to Abraham. In fact, if God had said any of those things to Abraham, then God would just be telling Abraham, you are your own greatest resource. But that's a common philosophy today. That's why I saw the sign coming in. The world is full of the we can, you can, can do. Solution to problems. You can do it. All you have to do is try. We can do it. Yes, we can. Anyway, but God has just one opposite direction for Abraham. Not that way. And God's direction to Abraham are the first words in this verse, one, where he says, I am God Almighty. I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So God's direction to Abraham was for Abraham to look to God, not to himself. Abraham was to walk before God and be perfect before God by looking to God. Abraham was being guided to say, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And that's God's leading for us. How are we to have this patient faith that we talked about? How are we to walk before God? How are we to have this attitude that we're always in the presence of God? How are we to examine our lives and identify the areas that need to be brought into submission and bring them into submission? How are we to do that? By seeing God as the almighty God, his power, and to say with Abraham, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now, we also saw in verse 2 how God began a whole explanation here, the beginning of this covenant that he was going to make with Abraham. And there's a particular word that we didn't cover before. It's very important in verse 2, and I want us all to, to see this. It's the word make, the word make. When God said, I will make my covenant between me and thee, That word make is a very important word. In the normal word for make or made in Hebrew is the word asah. Asah is the word that's used to describe what the Lord did during his creation. He made. It describes what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. He made the atonement. He finished the atonement. He accomplished the atonement. That's why the last word In the 22nd Psalm, the Psalm on the Crucifixion, is this word, asa, made, accomplished. That was the same word that he said in his dying breath on the cross when he said, finished. He didn't say, to tell us die. He wasn't speaking Greek. But he said, asa, because he just, he said, accomplished, made. I just made the great atonement. But the word used here in Genesis 17, 2, for made, is not the word asa. It's a word that comes from the word natan. And it means, Natan means gift or to give. It has the meaning of to give. So verse 2 is really reading, I will give my covenant. In other words, God is saying to Abraham that he was giving Abraham this covenant as a gift. Abraham, you don't have to work for this covenant. 
Abraham, the circumcision is only a sign that you accept this gift of God's covenant. So by God giving to Abraham his covenant, it means that from verse two, Abraham could walk away from verse two and he could say, not have I gotten but what I received. I don't know if he knew that too, but he could at least say the words. Grace has bestowed it since I have believed, boasting excluded, pride I abase. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Anyway, something like that. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate gift of God. He is the covenant in himself between man and God. And so the word natan or give or gift in verse two that we're reading here carries with it the same thought of John 3.16 where it says, for God so loved the world that he natan, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the idea here. God so loved the world, he natan, his son, when it says in Genesis 17 two, I will make, I will natan, I will give my covenant between me and thee. Romans 8.32, he that spared not his son, but delivered him up, natan, for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable natan, his unspeakable gift. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is natan, given as a gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the natan of God, the gift of God, natan, natan of God, by the way, is where we get the word nataniel or Nathaniel. Nathaniel is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the Nathaniel of God, is eternal life. And this is the record that God hath natan to us, given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. God's covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Natan of God, he is. Now, then we've seen in verse three how Abraham had a response to God's covenant. That was in verse three where we saw Abraham, he falls on his face. That's Abraham's response. And we read these amazing words, and God talked with him. That word for God there in that verse three is the same word as the third word in the Bible in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. And so that's the word, God, for Elohim. So what verse 3 is saying here is that Elohim talked with him. In other words, that goes back to the God of creation, the God who created talked with Abraham. The God of the universe talked with Abraham. When you and I sit down with an open Bible and an open heart and we hear God speaking through the Bible, that's Elohim that's speaking with us. That's the God of creation that's talking with us. That's the God of the universe speaking to us as he did with Abraham. And that's an amazing thing to think about that, that it's the God of the universe who began with us a conversation through the Bible, as he said in John 5, 39. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have life. They are they which testify, speak of me. The words, John 6, 36, 63, the words which I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks through the Bible to us. Through the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ is having a conversation with us. When the Bible speaks, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. When the Lord Jesus Christ speaks, the Bible speaks. So when we see in Genesis 17, 3, these words, and God talked with him, it's the simple truth comes across to Abraham and to us. 
God wants to have a conversation with us. He wants us to have this conversation. And the Lord Jesus Christ is God's conversation with man. He is the one who has the conversation with man. Now, next thing we see in verse 12 is we see, for the first time, God has introduced circumcision. And let's just put ourselves for a minute in Abraham's shoes and just kind of like, you're Abraham, we're Abraham, and we're hearing God for the very first time. And the very first words we hear from God as he says, he that is eight days old. Isn't that sweet? I mean, God says, he that's eight days old. And we stop and we think, what is God saying? He's saying, he that's eight days old. We think of a baby that's only eight days old. And we think, how beautiful, right, is a baby that's eight days old, especially if you sleep through the night. And, <laughs> and we can't think of anything more beautiful, more natural than a baby that's eight days old. I mean, how much influence has the world had on an eight-day-old baby to make it corrupt? He's only eight days old. I mean, how much influence has the world had on an eight-day-old baby to make that baby dishonest and deceptive and a liar? He's only eight days old. How much influence has the world had on that baby to make that baby cruel and murderous? It's only eight days old. And an eight-day-old baby, it's a newborn, has been protected from the world and it hasn't been influenced by all the evil of the world. Eight-day-old baby is so, is so pure, it's so innocent, right? <laughs> surely, surely, there's nothing wrong with an eight-day-old baby. <laughs> and so we're in Abraham, and we're here in verse 12, and we hear God say, he that is eight days old, and when God said, he that is eight days old, we see the eight-day-old baby, and we feel like Bill Gothard, and we say, how sweet to hold <laughs> a newborn baby, something like that. Anyway, so God has just said, he that is eight days old, and we feel all the sweetness of holding the baby, the purity, the innocence, and everything. So when we hear, you know, he's eight days old, we're all smiles. We thought, oh, that's really cute. Then the hammer drops. <laughs> and he says, shall be circumcised. Oh, man. <laughs> shall be circumcised. It's shocking. It is shocking, folks. I don't know if you've ever seen a circumcision. My father is an obstetrician, and his father was a moil, and so he kind of did it also in the Jewish ceremony of circumcision. I remember to this day, the bris, you know, it's a, it's a, people bring food. It's wonderful. You know, the baby is there all dressed in white. I have my circumcision suit. I'm not going to show you. But anyway, a traditional white circumcision suit. And I thought, oh, this is so, it looks so nice. What's so bad about this? And I'm telling you, I almost passed out. It was such a shock. I mean, the blood squirting and the baby screaming and the white and the blood red on the stove. You know, it's like, this is horrible. <laughs> I was not a fan of circumcision after that. But that's what God said in Genesis 17, 12. He said, he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. And not everybody agrees with the matter of circumcision because what could be sweeter, as we said, than an eight-year-old baby, right? And Moses had a wife, a Midianite wife named Zipporah, and she held that little son of Moses, their little baby, when it was eight days old, and she said to Moses, with a smile in her face, you put a knife to our eight-day-old baby, and I will circumcise you, Moses. <laughs> so if you circumcise our son, it'll be over my dead body. And she said, I will not allow you to put a knife to our son. And that was a hot argument in their house. There was a great, great argument between Moses and his wife, 
and Moses, what did Moses do? Moses said, I'm not going to die on that hill. (laughs) Well, you didn't know about Vietnam at that time, but anyway. So he said, for the sake of peace, I'll give in to my wife, and I won't circumcise my son. And Moses gave in to his wife's support over this matter, and Moses did not circumcise his son. And that made Zipporah happy, but it made God angry. Remember one of the rules of life, don't make God angry? So this was a big problem. And it made God very angry, very, very mad, and to the point where God was at the point of going to kill Moses because he refused to circumcise his son. And God made Moses so sick that he was going to die, and Moses was so sick. He was so sick, he couldn't even circumcise his son if he wanted to. He was so sick. And so Zipporah knew that God had made Moses so sick to the point of death because their son was not circumcised. And Zipporah knew that Moses was too sick to circumcise their son. So Zipporah knew that if their son was not going to be circumcised, if he wasn't circumcised, that Moses was going to die. So in a fit of anger, Zipporah grabs a knife, cuts off the foreskin of her son, and she's in such a fit of rage that she throws the bloody foreskin at Moses, who is sick on the verge of death, And as she throws the bloody foreskin to Moses, she yells out, a bloody husband thou art to me because of the circumcision. Now, that was the happy home of Moses and Zipporah, (laughs) okay? And I didn't make that up, you know, (laughs) because it's all recorded in three verses in Exodus 4. You can check it for yourself in Exodus 4, 24 through 26, where it says, and it came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone. I uh, can't even think of these things. <laughs> and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, surely a bloody husband art thou to me. And so he let him go. And then she said, a bloody husband thou art to me because of the circumcision. So this matter of circumcision destroyed the peace between Moses and his wife. Now, by the way, when we look closely at some of the home lives of some of the great saints in the Bible, we find that there wasn't always peace between the husband and the wife. You know, one time, as a joke, one time there was a Jewish man, and he's walking in the Negev Desert, and he comes across this lamp with the genie in it, you know, and, the genie, and so the genie comes out and says, okay, I'll give you one wish, you know, the classic, I'll give you the one wish, and the Jewish man takes out of his pocket a map of the Middle East, and he says to the genie, this little sliver of land over here, that's the land of Israel, And all these countries around that, they're the enemies of Israel. Look, there's Syria, there's Iran, there's Saudi Arabia, there's Egypt. They all hate Israel. So my one wish for you, genie, is that you make peace in the Middle East. And the genie says, that's really hard. He says, you know, the genie says, that's very, very hard. He says, don't you have another wish? You know, another wish I can do for you? And so, you know, a Jewish man was very sad. He puts the map back in his pocket, says the genie, well, my other wish is that you could make peace between me and my wife. He said, just make peace in my home between me and my wife. And then so the genie stops for a while and he says, can I see that map again? <laughs> All right. All right, Moses, okay, now back to the serious matter. Moses' wife did not agree that a baby should be circumcised. And the world finds the circumcision wrong. April 2012, A German court in Cologne indicted Rabbi David Goldberg for the crime of circumcising a baby, and he faces a prison sentence. The CDC reports that 20 years ago, about three-quarters of the male babies in the U.S. were circumcised, and today only half are. 
despite the fact that circumcision has been shown to reduce diseases. So why is there such a protest over the circumcision? Because we're talking about an eight-day-old baby, an eight-day-old baby boy. And a man looks at the eight-day-old baby boy, and man does, and says, you know, perfect. He's perfect. He's a perfect baby when he's born in his most pure, innocent, natural state. And God looks at the same eight-day-old baby and says, not perfect. He's not perfect in his natural state. Something in his flesh is not perfect. Something must be cut away. And man looks at himself and he says, perfect, perfect, me, perfect. I'm perfectly born. If there's anything wrong in me, it's because of, you know, it's the Officer Crumkey's song, you know, (laughs) because everybody did something bad to me. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor, that's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.